Father, thank you so much for this awesome day. And Jesus, we praise you for the sunshine. We praise you that your mercies are new every morning. Father, we thank you for your word that it is living and active and true. And Holy Spirit, be our teacher, be our guide. Open our eyes that we would see you, Jesus. Father, glorify your name. Pour your love into our hearts. We thank you and we worship you and we give you everything that we are to you, Father. And it's in Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen and amen. You all may be seated. You all who are worshiping online, welcome. And all of you, welcome to the church at Woodbine. I'm so tempted. I almost want to tell this middle group to move up here front. I'm feeling all alone up here. I'm just teasing. I won't make you do that. But it is a joy seeing each and every one of you all today. We are in a vision series, preaching and Heartbreak City. And last week, we watched our senior pastor. We got to listen to him as he really challenged us with one question. What is breaking your heart? And I'm going to ask that again today. What is breaking your heart? And what is God doing about it in your soul? I've got one fun story to share and one fun picture. I'm going to start with the story. Back in college, I went to Wheaton College. It's a small Christian school up in the Chicago area. There's a gazillion people that live in Metro Chicago. In my third year, I had to think about it because I spent many years at Wheaton, more than four, but I wasn't getting my master's or my doctorate degree, okay? My third year at Wheaton, I was part of a ministry called Young Life. Young Life is a high school, now middle school as well. It's a ministry geared to reach with the gospel of Jesus Christ unchurched non-Christian kids. And it goes into the high schools, into the middle schools, and our target is not the Christian kids. It's the non-Christian kids. We want to share and show Jesus to them with the hope of them coming to know Christ and then getting them plugged into a local church. And so my junior year, we started a new Young Life Club at a local high school, Glenbard West High School. It was five minutes down the street. But we weren't allowed to go into the school building. We weren't allowed to help with any of the extracurricular activities outside of school, like helping coach basketball or football or theater or music. When we started this club, there was no club to offer because we didn't know any high school kids yet. There were a small group of parents who wanted us and desired us to start this club, but we weren't allowed in the school building. So this is what we did. Three, four days a week after school, myself and the other guy leader, along with two other college girls, we were the four leaders, we would go and hang out in the parking lot after school, trying to meet kids. How would you do that? You don't know anybody. You're like, hey, hey, how you doing? Hey, hey. And we would laugh. I mean, we would pray for 30 minutes before we got there. And then we just kind of loiter around the parking lot. I mean, can you imagine that happening today? A bunch of college kids kind of hanging out at a local high school in the parking lot. I mean, what are we doing? We're going to be trafficking people or selling drugs or even worse. And we felt so foolish and stupid. But we knew that God had called us to this high school to reach these high schoolers who were so pagan. We went to every ball game every drama and theater, every music recital, just trying to meet kids. And hey, with my Southern accent back then, up there in Chicago, trying to reach a bunch of high school kids that spoke Yankee, Chicagoan, 
They looked at me cross-eyed. By the end of the year, nine months later, we had met maybe a dozen kids that actually would talk to us. We felt so foolish. But after that year, we knew the school. We knew the teachers. We knew when the ball games were, when the dramas and theater were performing, and people began to know us. We were approached by a group of parents who had eighth graders who were moving up into that high school. And they asked us to do a Young Life Club for the parents of their friends of the eighth graders moving up before school was out. So we did. We invited about 50 parents to one of their houses, and we did a club for high school kids. These were the parents. We had them chasing their tails and jumping around and acting crazy, laughing, singing. We gave a very short gospel presentation. And we said, this is what we want to do for your kids next year when school starts. That very next year, I could no longer do Young Life that year because I was involved in the ministry in Europe. They started a club. No, take that back. I did help that year. We started a club with maybe 29th graders the following year. By the end of that year, over 100 kids were coming to that Young Life Club. I then graduated school and went to Mexico. And that club continues today, continues today. And sometimes I laugh and think back of how foolish the other leaders and I were just showing up in that parking lot day in and day out. Nothing to offer except Jesus. Sitting, trying to connect with these high schoolers. Some of those, I've lost touch with every single one of those kids, but I have friends of friends of friends who've told me that some of those kids are now young life leaders themselves here in the United States. I don't share that to do anything for my glory, but God will call us to do challenging things, and sometimes the world will never see it. Sometimes it's just loving a very difficult neighbor or coworker or maybe a spouse, or a son, or daughter, or mother, or father, or someone just across the street. But we're called to be salt and light. And he calls us to have compassion, to sit in the presence of others. And sometimes, as we see with Ezekiel, to be quiet. To be able to know what the other person knows, to be able to feel what they feel, to be able to think what they think, to have mercy and compassion. And that's what we're going to see at Ezekiel today. But before that, I've got a picture I need to show you of my two sons when they were little. This is one of my favorite pictures. And I got permission. I asked permission this morning. This is Sam and Eric. Years ago, we were trying to take a picture. And for I can't even remember, but Sam was so upset, he did not want to take a picture. And Sam is actually crying. He's so mad. And then Eric, and Eric has always been this way. He's always had compassion for others. And we just happened to take the picture right at the time when Eric is looking over at his big brother. And Eric was fine. But once Eric saw Sammy crying, what did Eric start to do? He's ready to burst out in tears right there. 
we blew this picture up. It's actually, we use it for our mouse on our computer, and I've got pictures of it. Having compassion for others. Sitting in their presence to know who they are. Right here in Ezekiel, if you open your Bibles, Brady, thanks so much for reading it. It's Ezekiel chapter 2. Ezekiel chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, and then we'll jump over to chapter 3, verse 15. But here's what I want to leave with you, Ezekiel. Ezekiel is a, quite the challenging book. And I just happened to bebop into the Revelation class today. And Marlon was teaching on Ezekiel. So Marlon, we need to have a conversation. Are you teaching Revelation or Ezekiel? Which one is it? So I'm teasing. The reason I'm teasing Marlon is because chapter 1 of Ezekiel, Ezekiel has a powerful throne room experience where he sees God sitting on his throne. And if you read Ezekiel chapter 1, it sounds a whole lot like Revelation. It's an amazing chapter where in God's incredible grace and sovereignty and mercy, he allows Ezekiel to see God on his throne. There is lightning and thunder and pictures of rainbows and, and elders and angels. And Ezekiel can hardly contain himself. And right here in Ezekiel chapter 1, verse 28, and if you read it, you'll see it'll be on the screen. Ezekiel 1, verse 28. This is what Ezekiel says. He says, the appearance of the brilliant light all around was like that of a rainbow in a cloud on a rainy day. Have you ever seen a rainbow in a cloud on a rainy day? It's unbelievable. It's overwhelming. It's glorious. And Ezekiel says, he says, this was the appearance of the likeness of the Lord's glory. And when I saw it, I fell face down and heard a voice speaking. So Ezekiel is on his face and he's just seen the Lord, the appearance of the Lord with angels and with the four heavenly hosts that's described even in greater detail in the book of Revelation. And he's overwhelmed with what he sees and he falls to his face, trembling and in worship. Now, who is Ezekiel? Ezekiel was trained up and equipped to be a priest in the temple in the Old Testament. But in the year 597, the northern kingdom, Israel, had already been obliterated by Assyria almost 200 years earlier, 150 years earlier. And the country of Babylon, the kingdom of Babylon, was pressing hard on Judah, the southern kingdom. Judah is where Jerusalem is. In Jerusalem is the temple. And Ezekiel was raised up. He was part of the Levites as a temple priest. That was what he was equipped and trained for. That is what he was going to do as a ministry, as an adult. But in the year 597 BC, Babylon came into the country and they exiled the king of Judah, along with Ezekiel and most of the leading men and women and wealthy leaders of the nation in 597. If you know your dates, in 586 BC, 11 years later, Babylon comes back into Jerusalem, destroys Jerusalem. And we saw this last week with Nehemiah rebuilding the walls. They destroy Jerusalem and they destroy the temple. So Ezekiel, as a young man, he was almost 20 years old when he was exiled to Babylon, trained to be a priest. So he's in Babylon, in exile, 
He is watching his country be devastated. We have no idea what that is like. Now, I know in our day, in our world, in our time, the pressures, what we are experiencing as a world and as a country in our day and age are probably the most precarious that most of us have lived in. COVID, inflation, the war, the border crisis, you name it, and we're feeling a lot of pressure. But I tell you, compared to what Ezekiel lived through, it's only a drop in a, bu- in a bucket. And I don't want to say that just to minimize what we are facing and what many of our dear brothers and sisters face across the world. But Ezekiel is exiled as a 19-year-old, 20-year-old. He's in another land. The leadership of his country has been devastated. And as he grows up in Babylon, he's still probably with hope. One day I'll get back to Jerusalem and fulfill God's call in my life to be a priest in the temple. 11 years later, Babylon goes back into Jerusalem. They destroy the temple. What's Ezekiel going to do now? There is no more temple worship. There's no more nation of Judah or Israel. The people of God who are promised to be a great nation and a multitude of peoples, a blessing to all the nations of the earth, has been scattered and destroyed. And God, he told them it would happen if they were faithless to his covenant. God told Israel time after time, century after century, if you deny me, if you reject me, if you walk in disobedience, I will scatter you across the globe. And that's exactly what happened. So Ezekiel is left countryless, purposeless, no future, no vision, no calling, no career in a foreign land. This country has no king. They have no temple. They have no religious structure. They have been decimated. Now what? And one day at age 30, and he tells it right here at the beginning of Ezekiel, he has this amazing vision of who God is. And he hears this voice and he falls at his feet. I would imagine in worship and in fear and trembling. And then right here in verse In chapter 2, verse 1, it's what we read. Let's go ahead and stand again. There's two main parts of this passage. The first one is this. God calls Ezekiel not to be a priest, but to be a prophet. And this is God's word. This is what it says right here in chapter 2, verse 1. He said to me, remember, Ezekiel hears this voice, and then he hears this voice. And he said to me, son of man, stand up on your feet, and I will speak to you. As he spoke to me, the spirit entered me and he set me on my feet. Did you notice that? God commanded him to stand up, but then it was the spirit who stood him up. He stood me on my feet and I listened to the one who was speaking to me. This is God speaking to him. He said to me, son of man, I'm sending you to the Israelites, to his own people, to the rebellious pagans who've rebelled against me. Notice that God is calling Israel, his own people, rebellious pagans. The Israelites and their ancestors have transgressed against me to this day, from day one. The descendants are obstinate and hard-hearted. I'm sending you to them, and you must say to them, this is what the Lord God says. 
Whether they listen or refuse to listen, for they are a rebellious house. They will know that a prophet is among them. You all may be seated. The first thing is God's call on Ezekiel. God calls Ezekiel. Remember, he was trained and equipped to be a priest. That was wiped away. And now God's calling him to be a prophet. And he tells him, stand up and I'm going to tell you. I'm going to feed you and we'll see it again. But the first thing is God's calling Ezekiel. Now there's several things. The first one is he tells him, son of man. And while I was in the Revelation class earlier today, they were talking right on this phrase, son of man. And if you know your scriptures, if you know your Bible, and I think it's almost 90 times in this book of Ezekiel, Ezekiel is addressed as son of man. Now, there was someone else who called himself son of man. Who was it? It was Jesus. Now, when Jesus gave himself the title son of man, it was more than just a son of a man. It comes from Daniel, where it means Lord and Messiah and creator and judge. And that's Jesus' title and Jesus' purpose as the son of man. But right here, when it's son of man, it basically is saying, you're a human, Ezekiel. You're made of flesh and blood. You're made of ashes and clay. You are fragile and you are weak. You are human. You are sinful. You are not worthy. But I am calling you out and I am standing you up and I'm going to fill you with my Holy Spirit, which God does. He tells Ezekiel, stand up. Yet it's the spirit who stands him up. He says, son of man. And then what does he say? As we've read a couple of times, he says, listen to me. Again, what, how many ears do you have? How many mouths do you have? James, the brother of Jesus says, may we be quick to listen and slow to speak. So he's like, listen up. Listen, Ezekiel. I'm going to tell you. And he says, I'm sending you back to Israel. Now, is he sending him back to the country of Israel? No. He's sending him to the people of Israel who've been scattered all throughout Babylon. I'm sending you to Israel. And how does God call the Israelites? He calls them rebellious pagans, obstinate, hard-hearted. Kind of sounds like me and you, doesn't it? Well, I can't speak for you, but that's who I am. I'm rebellious and I'm hard-hearted. I'm obstinate and obtuse. And God is letting Ezekiel know, I I am sending you. God is sending Ezekiel to Israel. But he says several times in this one passage, they're rebellious, they are rebellious, they are rebellious. And they've been transgressing against me. Israel has broken covenant since day one. They have broken the covenant since the very beginning. How many of us break the covenant? We break it every day. We are so lost and so sinful and so wretched that we need to trust and rely on the precious blood of Jesus. There is no one good. Now, the amazing thing here, God, he tells Ezekiel, if they listen to you or not, as we say in Spanish, quien sabe, who knows? If they listen to you or not, that's not up to you. But they will know that there's a prophet among them. And that leads me to my second point. My second point is this. God encourages 
Ezekiel. God is a God of great encouragement. So many times, and I've seen this in my own life, I've seen it with hundreds of people I've pastored, and I've seen it with so many of us as Christians. We die of the shoulda and the shame and the guilt of I'm not doing enough. I'm not doing enough. I'm not doing enough. Well, let me tell you, you will never do enough. It's not up to you or to me. It's all by God's great grace. Who called Ezekiel? God did. Who lifted him up? God did. Who filled him with his Holy Spirit? God did. Who's going to give Ezekiel the words? God did. That's why I said, please don't clap for what God did at Glenbard West High School with Young Life. It's not, it wasn't me or Pete or Bob or Anna or any of the other leaders. It was Jesus doing the work. It is always Jesus doing the work in and through his people for his glory. Our only response is, here I am. And God right here, starting in verse 6, and it'll be up on the screen, chapter 2, verse 6, but you, son of man, he's reminding Ezekiel, you're weak, you're fragile. You're human. But you, son of man, don't be afraid of them. Don't be afraid of their words. Even though though briars and thorns are beside you and you, you live among scorpions. Man, what encouragement, no? And I'm kind of being a little facetious. But like God tells Ezekiel twice, don't be discouraged. Don't be afraid. I'm sending you back to Israel and they're obstinate, obtuse, rebellious. They're pagans. They're transgressors. Oh, by the way, they're also scorpions and they're like briars and thorns. Too many of us, especially as North American Christians, we measure spiritual maturity, growth, and health by the three B's. Budgets, butts, and buildings. If it's bigger, if the budget's bigger, if the buildings are bigger and better, well, man, that must be an amazing pastor there. That's not necessarily true. I think the people who are going to be standing on the front row in heaven, and this is, you know, this is Doug's theology, are going to be the weak widows, the rejected, the broken, who no one on this planet has ever heard of. And yet they have walked in unbelievable faithfulness to the Lord Jesus, glorifying him. It's that mother who faithfully raises two, three, four kids. She's not part of any famous or good ministry, big ministry. She's not led any type of Bible studies and never written any books, but she's faithful and loving on her kids, showing them Jesus, making ends meet, a woman of prayer and faith, and no one ever hears of this woman. But Jesus knows. Jesus sees. And Jesus will bless for all eternity. Ezekiel, in human eyes, was not very successful. He actually was rejected by Israel time and time again. And if you read this book, it's, Ezekiel is a hard book. He uses allegory, hyperbole, poetry, imagery, 
even street theater. I won't tell you what God told him to do, but it's pretty gross and nasty. It's also weird. He would be considered a crazy person. Symbolism. And when you read Ezekiel, you're thinking, man, he must have been smoking dope when he wrote this thing. Because many times it doesn't make sense. I mean, you have to understand the cultural context of what is going on. But Ezekiel faithfully proclaimed the truth of who God was and his mercy and grace. And as hard as Ezekiel, this book can be, some of the most powerful passages in all of Scripture, it's found in Ezekiel 18, where God says several times, God says, I do not desire the death of anyone, of any evil person. I don't desire the death of anyone who's evil, but I long for them to repent and turn from their evil ways, to be healed and to be forgiven and to be saved. God's heart, and we've said this numerous times, God's heart is for reconciliation. We, as lovers of Jesus, are ambassadors of reconciliation, where, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians, we plead to the world to be reconciled back to God. And Ezekiel is one of those forerunners. So right here in in verse 6, all the way down to the end, God tells them over and over, don't be discouraged. Don't be afraid. I want you to tell them exactly what I'm going to tell you. And then right down here at the bottom of this passage, right here in verse 8, 9, and 10, he says again, and you, son of man, listen to what I tell you. Are you listening? Are you listening to what God is telling you? Listen to what I tell you. Don't be rebellious like this rebellious house Israel. Open your mouth and eat what I'm giving you. And then God continues in verse 9. He says, so I looked. Now remember, Ezekiel has his vision, and the Spirit stands him up, and the Lord is encouraging Ezekiel. He's not castigated. He's not, that's not the right word. That's not the right English word. The Lord is not lamb-blasting Ezekiel for the shoulda, coulda, you should, you need, you should, you need. He's telling him, listen to me. Don't be discouraged. I'm going to lift you up and I'm going to feed you. I'm going to give you the words and I'm going to give you what you need. Only listen, listen and do what I say. And so Ezekiel looks and he sees this hand reached out. So Ezekiel's like doing this amazing freedom prayer right now. He's listening to the Lord. He's in a vision. He sees this hand. He says, in this hand, there's the scroll written on with words on the inside and outside. And he says he eats it. And when he eats this, it's the words of lamentation and mourning and woe. Later on, Ezekiel describes this scroll as being very sweet. Sometimes when we're called, we're called to do very difficult, challenging, heartbreaking things. I remember the very first day in Mexico, my very first day in Mexico, we go out to the mission And there's this big aluminum-sided building. It's about half the size of this building here. It's about twice the size of our chapel. There's a basketball court on one side. Dirt, rocky roads. There's not a green thing in sight. Desert. And there's like five or six kids, toddlers, playing on the basketball court, naked. Nothing. They're that poor. Electricity just got installed. Women had to collect the water at the end of the street. And within the first couple weeks being there, I remember telling myself, what does a rich 
white Southern boy whose father is a medical doctor have to offer these little kids? Nothing. But by trusting Jesus, by offering Jesus, we can bring hope, healing, salvation, reconciliation, purpose, and life. And today I'm still connected with that church in Mexico and I'm seeing grandkids who are teenagers now serving on worship team of their grandparents who are 10-year-olds 25, 26 years ago that were in our Bible clubs of what God can do. And very few people know of the ministry in Mexico. God is a God of very small beginnings that this world might never see. Almost all of us will never be called to be big and famous in the Christian world. You know what? That's okay. We'll do ordinary daily things and routines for an extraordinary God who will glorify His name in our everyday lives that we think are ordinary, but for Jesus, they're extraordinary. And just like Ezekiel, we fall face down before our God in worship. We listen to Him and let Holy Spirit fill us. And then we do as He commands. He feeds us with His written word and we read His written word to encounter the living word. And as we follow Him who's given us this book, He empowers us to bring glory to His name. If we jump over to verse 15 of chapter 3, this is Ezekiel's response. Here in verse 15 of chapter 3, after he was commissioned, after he was called out as a, as a prophet, not a priest, but a prophet, and then he's given God's words. Right here in verse 15, Ezekiel says, he says, I came to the exiles at Tel Aviv, that's in modern-day Iraq, who were living in the, by the Chabar Canal. And I sat there among them, stunned for seven days. I could do a whole other sermon on this one verse. Ezekiel's been commissioned by God. He's got God's words. Thus saith the Lord. And he comes in, he's filled with Holy Spirit. I'm sure with fire, he's probably ready to proclaim God's truth. Let him have it. He's going to a rebellious people. He gets there and what does he do? He sits with them. He listens. He watches. He absorbs. He observes. It says he's stunned. Why? Because he sees the devastation and brokenness and rebelliousness and sin of his very own people. And he's speechless. So he waits until God says, speak. God calls Ezekiel. God empowers Ezekiel. God encourages Ezekiel. God warns Ezekiel. God feeds Ezekiel with his word. And then God sent Ezekiel. Sounds kind of like Jesus. God the Father 
loved the world so much that he sent Jesus, his eternal son, to come to the world, to take on our flesh and blood, to live as one of us. 30 of the 33 years that Jesus lived on this earth, raised as a Jewish boy, raised as a carpenter, faithfully serving as a carpenter. He did no signs. He did no miracles. He did no preaching until he was anointed by Holy Spirit, baptized by John the Baptist. And then he spent three and a half years preaching the kingdom of God. He then took on our sin, shedding his blood on the cross, dying on that cross, being buried and then rising from the dead. Ezekiel is like a forerunner of Jesus. Many people say, well, how can God know how I feel and what I'm like? He doesn't know what it's like to be a human. Oh, yes, he does. And not only a human, but Jesus, the only perfect human, because Jesus was 100% man as well, suffered more than any human has ever suffered, dying on that cross, bearing our sin and shame so that we can be reconciled. You see, a lot like Ezekiel, when he came to his people and he listened for seven days, Jesus came and as he lived among us for those 30 years, being tempted and tried in every way, he knows exactly what it's like to be human. He knows what exactly what it's like to be sinful, not because he himself sinned. But scripture says in 2 Corinthians, it says that God treated him who had no sin to be sin for us. We sin and feel dirty. Jesus knows exactly what that's like because he bore our sin. I remember at dealing, struggling, trying to hide all of my sexual abuse as a little kid for 15 years. The lights came on for me. Reading Hebrews chapter 2, 14 through 16 that Jesus has compassion on us because he was made just like us. And when I realized that Jesus was crucified naked on that cross, that's a form of sexual abuse. And I realized, wow, Jesus knows what it's like. He can have compassion on me. Jesus is, or Ezekiel is similar to Jesus, but Jesus is so much more. And then Jesus calls us to stand on our feet. So let's stand. Worship team, I want to invite you to come up. Jesus calls us to stand on our feet, to listen to him. He will fill us with his Holy Spirit. He will feed us with his Holy Word. And then he calls us out to be salt and light to everyone around us, where we live, work, play, and worship. As we worship him, I'll be standing down here. If you want or need prayer, I would love to pray with you. Johnny will be over at Next Steps as well to talk with you or to pray with you. But I have two closing questions. The first one is from last week. What is breaking your heart? And how is God working in you to respond? What is breaking your heart? And how is God working in you to respond? The second question is this. How has the Lord spoken to you today?
Let's pray. Father, thank you for this amazing day. And Jesus, we love you. We thank you that you are so much more than what Ezekiel was. That you shared our flesh and blood. You lived as one of us. You took our sin and you died on the cross. And you've opened the way for healing, for salvation, for forgiveness and new life. And Lord, like you've called Ezekiel, you've called each and every one of us to proclaim your truth, to live out your truth in this lost and dying world. Lord, continue to break our hearts for what breaks yours. And may we respond like Ezekiel and say yes to your voice. Yes to your word. And we worship you and we praise you, Jesus. In your precious name we pray. Amen.